daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. From not losing a game on your own patch in the league for more than three years to losing twice at home in a row. This time Brighton joined Burnley in picking up an unlikely three points at Anfield as lacklustre Liverpool now falls seven points behind leaders Manchester City in their defence of the Premier League crown. West Ham continue their assault on the top flight's top four as they won away at Aston Villa where new boy Jesse Lingard stole the show with a brace on his debut after moving on loan from Manchester United. Everton got a rare win at Ellen Road, Man City continued to assert themselves at the summit and Fulham were dealt yet another blow last night in this meandering Premier League season. And the action isn't done yet either. Tonight, Jose Mourinho looks to avoid an unwanted record when he takes his Spurs side to one of his old stomping grounds of Stamford Bridge, where there's a new gaffer in town. Welcome to Football Social Daily, the Premier League show with a new episode every day of the week, every day of the season. I'm Niall and with me today, I guess we could call them the Paisley Pundits. We've got JP Hughes and Callum Tyler. How you doing, lads? Good, mate. Hello. My mum's from Paisley, so that doesn't Oh, there we go. Nice <laughs> inadvertent connection there to Callum at the very start of the podcast. I've heard Paisley's a pretty nice place, Callum, so there we go. If not for the patterns. No comment. Um, isn't Manchester City's kit uh, got Paisley on it at the moment as yes, well? Yes, it does. Yes, it has. And uh, But what I think it looks a little bit like is, you know, all those uh, sort of TV news graphics of coronavirus where they <laughs> yeah. like make it look like weird bacteria. That's what I think it, it looks does like. Look like a really appropriate dish, for this it? season. Yeah. Yeah, it looks yeah. like an amoeba, definitely. And, and let me tell you, if you're a fan of uh, football mascot controversy, uh, check out some of the Paisley Pandas antics over the year. The St Mirren mascot is uh, a cheeky, cheeky oh. boy. <laughs> well, Scottish football never <laughs> fails to let us down because last night the Hamilton academical commentator got sacked for saying he went for a <laughs> at half-time live on air. <laughs> so there we go. Um, I think that goes to sum up uh, the attitudes of some people over the last few weeks. Time to talk Premier League now, though. And we'll start at Anfield, where Liverpool were beaten in consecutive games. They've been unbeaten at home for over three years. That was until they faced Burnley a couple of weeks ago, where they were beaten. And now they lost again, this time to Brighton. Two unlikely signs rocking up to Anfield and picking up three points. Jurgen Klopp seemed to have uh, plenty to say after the game. A massive result for Brighton. Liverpool missed their chances, but on the whole, I thought that... Brighton deserved the victory, Callum. I don't know how you saw the game. I think they did. They defended well. Um, they actually had no saves to make in the first half from their goalkeeper's point of view. They were really patient. Um, they kind of sucked up the pressure and then they did what you've got to do if you're going to beat a top side like Liverpool. They, they took their chances when it came. Um, they probably could have scored more as Which well. Which they haven't been doing, by the way, recently, Brighton. They've been missing yeah. loads of chances and everyone's been saying that's what's been costing them. Co- totally. And you know that that kind of clinical edge is makes such a difference especially if you're down the part of the table that Brighton are uh, I think you know Klopp said afterwards that, mm. that Liverpool were mentally fatigued um they certainly looked it I mean on another another way of looking at it is who isn't at this point in time but like yeah I think defending a title is is always much harder than winning one and I think that they showed that last night yeah absolutely I mean for Liverpool they did miss their chances, which is almost what we've seen from Brighton, JP. You know, uh, And it's unusual to see players of the quality that Liverpool have um, missing their chances. Now, in the last couple of games, they've been more ruthless in front of goal. But again, they, they drew a blank tonight. And 
you just wonder what is going on there. Jurgen Klopp, after the game, kind of put it down to fatigue and stuff like that. Um, mental fatigue, saying that the players weren't fresh in their minds. And if they're not fresh in their minds, how can they be fresh in their legs? Do you think it is a case of that? I mean, there's so many possible avenues you could go down to try and pinpoint why Liverpool aren't playing well. Um, but I suppose when you play the intensity that Liverpool do, and you're trying to do it for three or four seasons in a row, naturally there is going to be points where you do hit a lull. I think you make a really good point there now. I, th- I think the, the, the style of their play is what uh, at times can make it look that they've fallen so far. Um, definitely, I mean, the, 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 there's no question about it. I, I think the, the Brighton keeper hardly did a save to make last night. And, and they set up really well, you know, but it really does show that, that Liverpool's problems go way beyond um, kind of centre-back issues, doesn't it? That um, th- th- this is a really one-dimensional um, lack of that, that urgency and that pace. We know that when Manny's not in the team, that makes a big difference to them anyway. The intensity in that press up front isn't there. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think... Uh, I think that might be it for Liverpool. I, I know it's a bit early to say it, and, mm. and it sounds a bit crazy, but I, I think Klopp's demeanour that you referred to there at the end of the game showed that he realised, I don't know if we've got this in us to, to, to claw this back now. Kind of further to that, JP. I mean, he looked frustrated, but he was actually relatively dignified after the win, and obviously everyone always points out when he loses that he comes out with these excuses, and he actually said it might be excuses, but I don't care. He was frustrated, but not to the point where we've seen him kind of bite reporters' heads off after games that we have done in fixtures already this season when Liverpool haven't got the result they've wanted. He certainly did look frustrated, but he was less explosive, let's just say, in the post-match interview. Do you think that does kind of speak volumes about his actual views on the title defence for Liverpool? Because as we said just a moment ago, now seven points away from Manchester City who are at the top and City do have a game in hand and they play Man City next. So if they lose there, that gap could extend to 10 points. He looks a bit punch drunk, doesn't he? You know, he can't quite believe what's happened in the last uh, the last couple of games. Um, so it's refreshing to see a little bit of humility from him. <laughs> I'm sure some people would say. Um, but I've got absolutely no doubt he'll be back bouncing about in the uh, touchline like Zebedee, causing all sorts of bother by the weekend. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Well, Man City are up next, the, t- the team that you support, Callum, and we'll talk about their game against Burnley last night a little bit later on in the show. But in terms of this upcoming fixture and JP saying that he feels that might be the sort of final blow in the title defence, would you go along with that? Because with the confidence that Manchester City have got and the way that they've been performing lately, in comparison to what Liverpool have been producing, you have to say that, you know, Liverpool are probably now, if they if they do fail to get a result, a three points against Man City, that could well spell curtains for their defence of the Premier League. I'm, I'm confident, obviously, but I, also anything could happen in this, you know, crazy season. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if that, if that gap did get a bit tighter. If they do beat Man City on the weekend, what's nice from a Man City point of view is that that doesn't really matter and we'd still have points on them um, and we'd still have games, a game in hand I think as well so it's nice that there's a bit of a gap sort of opening up but we've seen we've seen teams throw away that gap before um, and we've seen teams you know as good as Liverpool being able to catch up and, and row other teams in so I, I don't want to speak too soon but yeah it's it's looking it's looking very comfortable right now I think Do you think uh, do you think Pep will, 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 do a, will do a Brighton Callum do you think we sit deep defending numbers counting at pace <laughs> Well actually I, I think this is we're kind of due a game where Pep goes a bit crazy and just does something <laughs> ment- something mental that you do when you're drunk playing football manager um, so I fully expect to see you know Zinchenko up front or uh, I don't know Gabriel Jesus at right back on Sunday would you want Sean Gouter on a short term contract <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll tell you one thing I really enjoyed last and I'm hoping um, you know 
as a neutral, I think if there's something you can take really positive out of that, that Liverpool game last night, obviously you like to see the best teams playing really well. It makes for ter- tremendous entertainment. But results like that and the Sheffield United result the other night, I'm hoping we're going to see Brighton and Sheffield United and some of these teams a bit lower down the league who uh, are looking in trouble come out and have a bit of a go now, man. Um, mm-hmm. As opposed to the, 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 the tense, nervous, you know, defensive football that we saw, which is always the case in the first half, maybe first two thirds of the season. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed this all goes well for some really attacking football from some of the lower uh, table sides towards the end of the season. Well, Graham Potter's received plenty of plaudits for the style of play that he's kind of brought to Brighton. And although they've ended up in a similar position to where they were under Chris Hewton in terms of pretty much just staying up a couple of places above the relegation zone, not doing anything special, the way they are winning games and the way they are playing football is certainly more attractive on the eye than what Chris Hewton brought. And I think that, you know, that was kind of the remit for, for Graham Potter. And now it's up to him, I think, to build on that. And that hasn't really been the case this season. They've had chances to win games which they've not taken and they've been punished um, but it, interesting to see that Jurgen Klopp after the game said that Brighton are a good side they played good football and they deserve the win as for Brighton and, and that relegation fight it's a huge win for them particularly with Fulham losing last night to Leicester because that gap to the relegation zone is now a substantial cushion Callum so you know those lingering concerns of relegation are maybe slightly starting to fade it's, it's whether they can build this into a bit of a run of form. Sometimes you see a result like this that really sort of galvanises a team season and and like JP just said, maybe they'll start to play without fear when they come up against those teams around them. I think, you know, that if you're a Brighton player, you've kind of, that's like an almost double win, a six-pointer is the cliche, but, you know, because Fulham lost um, and Fulham will have been looking at that game not really expecting Brighton to get anything. So, yeah, they, I, I'm, I'm really impressed by them, really pleased with them. Um, they've got some really good young players there as well. I just, I, I think, like we said earlier, maybe those young players, that inexperience, that wasn't translating into taking your chances. And hopefully now they've got, a, you know, an example to build on um, and, re- and really sort of give them confidence in the rest of the season. Well, Liverpool lost 1-0 to Brighton last night at Anfield. Who would have saw that coming only a few weeks ago in the end? That means it's back-to-back defeats at home for Liverpool in their defence of the Premier League title. Seven points off top spot and probably in a battle now to get into the top four, particularly considering West Ham are really surging up the Premier League table and they've got their eyes set on those Champions League spots. At least they should do if they haven't already because they beat Aston Villa by three goals to one at Villa Park last night in the Premier League. Another really big result for West Ham. We'll come on to Jesse Lingard who made a great debut for the Hammers in a little bit but I guess on the whole JP I've seen some West Ham fans including our own Jim Salverson say that this is some of the best football he's seen West Ham play in 20 odd years Uh, Mm. and you know that is that is high praise for David Moyes a man who's had a fair share of stick over the years. I'm really pleased for him Uh, you know Moyes um, built that brilliant reputation um, got the United job you know, missing impossible. There's no way anybody could have got on enough. The, the next two or three managers were always going to be cannon fodder after that happened. And I think it's testament to his character, to his resilience, to his understanding of the game, to the principles that he wants football to be played by, that he um, shrugged off a lot of the, you know, it, it became a wee bit of a, it, it was but a lot of jokes, you know. I'd probably call him a laughing stock, a wee bit too far. But uh, certainly there was a, there was a bit of a lot of jokes. And uh, I'm really pleased for him. And West Ham, I, I've always had a, a little soft spot for West Ham, only because back in the day, um, here's, here I go, old man on you too, sorry about this. <laughs> when, when the only English football you could see 
was uh, you would get an FA Cup tie late on like a Wednesday night or something, the highlights on telly, and your dad would let you stay up. And obviously, you know, you'd play like Frank McAvenny and all that going down there, and then you get the, the band and everything. Yeah. So I, I used to always find West Ham a really exciting team, and I've always kind of looked out for the results and, and, and kind of wished them well. So I'm really pleased to see them doing that. But on a personal level, I think uh, a bit of a salvation for Moyes is, um, is, is overdue. Well done, him. Yeah, I think West Ham, are, if I'm right in saying, still the last side to win the FA Cup with an all-English side. That was in that right? 1975, where they uh, beat Fulham 2-0 in the final. Um, Frank oh, Lampard Sr., Billy Bonds, um, loads of players. <laughs> yeah, Trevor Brookin, Pat Holland. So there's some good players in that West Ham side. But yeah, the last all-English team to win an FA Cup. Do any of you, do any of you remember that uh, that comedy show, the sketch show, the fast show, where it was the old Ron manager, the, the, the week? I would come out and just say mad things like mm, jumpers for goalposts when we were boys and all that stuff. <laughs> no. that's, that's what we've just descended into. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did watch the uh, the four Ronnies, uh, the four Ronnies, the two Ronnies, four candles <laughs> sketch last night uh, for the first time in years, which is still as funny as it ever was 40 years ago. So there. Yeah. You guys might as well be speaking French. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know any French. Um, let's talk about Jesse Lingard. Um, you know, he may as well have been learning French in the last six months because he's not really had a chance at Manchester United. <laughs> just three appearances this season season before he made the loan switch to West Ham he's 28 now he has had some issues in his personal life which has kind of kept him away from focusing on his game I think some health issues to do with family members and things like that so good to see him back on the pitch last night making his debut for West Ham United scoring two goals albeit um, a couple of I don't want to say fluky efforts because you know this is the Premier League but a couple of uncharacteristic mistakes from Martinez the the Villa goalkeeper Callum to to allow Jesse Lingard his his first brace in West Ham colours but in general it seemed like the atmosphere on social media after the the result and after Lingard's performance everyone was kind of quite pleased for him because it was only a couple of years ago that from an England perspective, he was in the World Cup side that that took England to a semi-final. Yeah, Lingard's 28 and actually that was a lot older than I thought he was in in my own head. And I know that, you know, maybe it's just me not paying attention, but I always thought of Jesse Lingard as still being one of that kind of young crop of Man United players that came through that, that still had so much potential and still had something to prove. But, you know, I think maybe... Maybe the, the the fact of being at Manchester United and having all those players in front of you, maybe it does make it really, really hard to step up and become that kind of leader in the squad, especially when you look at him compared to the likes of Rashford, who's kind of come through, you know, in the same kind of generation as him. And I just wonder now if, like, maybe, maybe the switch to West Ham, he delivered two goals last night, he won them the game. Is this a chance for him being 28 in his prime? He's not got the pressure of being a Manchester United player and he can really, he can really lead. West Ham and he can take a lot of responsibility for, for goals and assists and all the rest of it and I think this this could be the making for him I think it's a really really good move um, and a shrewd piece of business from Moyes which is another one of Moyes' great traits I would say Some of the signings that David Moyes has made you look at Vladimir Sufal Thomas Socek and now Lingard you know they're making such a big impact for West Ham United um, probably players that would have gone under the radar and maybe not have made much as much of a splash in terms of their arrivals particularly the two Czech players as Jesse Lingard did but you know they're on a great run of form they've got momentum JP and I know some people that kind of work in football media that hate the term momentum they don't understand it they don't think it makes any sense because there's no evidence to suggest that a team with momentum um, should be successful but I don't necessarily agree with that West Ham feel like they're on a roll they feel like there's a good buzz around the club and sometimes that can work wonders for a team uh, for morale and for results and maybe just plucking something out of somewhere which didn't exist before 
It does. It's a huge game. Um, the, in, in terms of it was a proverbial six pointer actually. I think if, if I'm not mistaken, had Villa beaten West Ham last night, they went above them in goal difference. I think, um, and instead uh, West Ham push up to fifth and, and get a six point yap. Momentum really has everything. It, I think it's everything. And you think about just a general walk of life, whether whatever job you do day to day, when when things are going your way, you attack them with a freedom and a and a. And a zest and and an energy that uh, that isn't there. So it's it's the way that your subconscious kicks in. You start to go into a bit more flow. You become less uh, conscious and considered in some of the moves you make, which in a sport as free flowing as football is really important um, because uh, you start to play with a lot more freedom and rhythm. So I think you're absolutely spot on. Momentum is is huge. West Ham have it, and uh, on a weird side note. Um, I really like that plain black kit of theirs. <laughs> Big fan of plain black kits. So when I saw that last night, I was like, that is a pretty cool strip. Um, I quite yeah. liked it as well. Do you know what, uh, JP? The massive crest, the massive badge. I'm yeah. a big fan of make the football club badge as big as possible. It just looks absolutely uh, massive. There's something nice about seeing an, an umbro, an old umbro diamond as well. Nice to see that uh, on, on a kit as well. I've got the, uh, the blue tracksuit. I think Scotland, is it Scotland 76 tracksuit? Oh, I've got, beauty, I've got nice. one, yeah, an umbro one. Well, nice. yeah, big fan of that, big fan of that piece. Um, <laughs> but still, yeah, West Ham, great result for them. Antonio was excellent last night. Um, I mean, we spoke earlier on this week, Callum, about how David Moyes said he was happy with his January business and how he was quite content with the fact that it was only Antonio who they've got as not even a recognised striker. He's mainly a winger, obviously, but he can play through the middle and he's been doing it excellently. He said he was happy, David Moyes, with that. And, you know, the, the, I suppose so far he's been proved right. I mean, they need him to stay fit, though, because West Ham are better for it when they've got a fully fit and firing Mikhail Antonio. Yeah, the, the thing about Mikhail Antonio, and he did this to City early in the season, he's such a handful to play against. And he kind of makes things happen by the way he holds up the ball, the other people that he kind of brings in around him. And he's obviously extremely strong and powerful as well. And he's just... He, he must be an absolute nightmare to defend against I think every time I watch him and you've when you've got him and you've got now Lingard as well there um, and the, the Czech boys as well they, they're kind of it's it's maybe a bit of a, a kind of odd collection of players from different places and different things to prove and different sorts of reputations but Moyes seems to be able to get a tune out of these players and yeah you know it's a confidence game they're playing with confidence now and, and it's it's really impressive to watch um, and I think yeah if Antonio can stay fit there's no reason why West Ham can't still be up around fifth and sixth by the end of the season. Well, Aston Villa still have games to make up uh, after the coronavirus outbreak at their training ground, so they do have a couple of games in hand. But losing to West Ham, aside with similar aspirations to them, uh, definitely a blow uh, for Dean Smith's side. Do you think they can recover um, from this, JP? They've, they've shown that they can do. They've shown that they can play good football. Um, like I said earlier, Martinez in goal, a couple of uncharacteristic mistakes from him. Was it just a bad night at the office for Aston Villa where they were outplayed by a slightly hungrier West Ham? Definitely, they've bounced back from uh, from this before. Uh, they've bounced back from defeats where the opposition hasn't played as well as West Ham did. And, uh, and come on to win. And when Grealish, who every single time he takes the pitch, impresses me more and more and more, when you've got somebody like that in your team who's so productive, so effective, so efficient with his use of the ball, um, they'll come bouncing back no problem and have a really strong finish to the season, I think. I find Grealish strangely likeable considering Same. some of the things that he's <laughs> he, he's got up to off the field and, I, and, and I just really the kind of way he looks and stuff yeah he's the I, sort of person you feel like you should hate I really want to hate him but then he plays football <laughs> and you're like ah pretty good man you're pretty damn good he can't <laughs> it, it can't be that far away if you a big move I don't think I really do want to know what his shin pads are made of though 
because <laughs> I don't know how they can be made of anything particularly solid or structurally sound the way he wears them so low down by his ankles. Uh, if anyone knows, get in touch with us at the Sports Social on Twitter. I do have a suspicion they've got a middled finish on them right enough just to be quite cheeky as a hillbound before they slips them in. Very good. It's probably got like a small pot of Brill cream down there or something like that, you know, just in case. <laughs> Aston Villa 1, West Ham 3, final score in the Premier League last night. Uh, another three fixtures took place yesterday in the top flight too. We'll talk about those next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily from Sports Social, your daily Premier League podcast, seven days a week, a brand new show right throughout the course of the Premier League season, including this lockdown period. So there's no other podcast out there that actually does that for you. Hit subscribe and that way you won't ever miss a show. It includes the weekend, so we have a full rundown and a full preview of all the fixtures taking place in the English top flight. So if you don't want to miss anything, as I say, smash that subscribe button. Now, talking of smashing, Manchester City normally smash Burnley. Uh, They've beat them 28-1 on aggregate in the last seven games before last night where they've played against the Clarets. It did finish uh, 2-0 to City last night. Not as big a defeat as Burnley may have uh, been expecting after recent performances, but an entirely professional performance from Manchester City, Callum. Must have been pleasing on your eye uh, and pleasing to show that even after a kind of a, a rickety start to the season for Pep Guardiola's side, they've really found their stride now. I think if this game had been in... August or September um, September the season started if it had been in September this could have been potential banana skin um, with all the cliches about you know Burnley being a difficult place to go <laughs> but I actually think you know they dominated the game they created a lot of good chances missed as many chances as we kind of scored and I think you know Raheem has, has missed a few in that game I was really glad that he actually put one in the net because I think he's he's a bit low in confidence now and that'll make a di- big difference um, you used the word pleasing there I'll, I'll tell you the two things that pleased me most about this game was uh, Jesus scoring against Pope <laughs> and uh, the other the other thing a stat that my dad texts me um, is that this is the we are now the team that have the most wins on consecutive Wednesdays with twelve. Um, so that's a that's a record that I can't see being beaten anytime soon. I love that. I'm trying to think if there are any other uh, angelical puns we could make about uh, players with uh, Christian surnames. But uh, we'll leave it there. Jesus against Pope, probably the other highlight of last night. In all seriousness, though, JP, good for him to score because. He's come in for a bit of criticism. He's been injured. Aguero's been out for a while. And obviously, Jesus is kind of seen as the heir to Sergio Aguero to kind of replace him when Aguero finally moves on uh, to pastures new. And it's not quite been plain sailing for, for Gabriel Jesus. I think his goal record, by the way, is absolutely excellent. I think he's genu- generally underrated as a player. Um, but still, he's going to be feeling that pressure from the outside and probably pressure on himself, considering that City have played a fair chunk of the season without a recognised striker. I mean, we've seen Ferran Torres play there a few times even. So really good for him and probably for his confidence to get on the score sheet. Uh, yeah, as, and, and he's another player I really like. I think you're right. I think he, he gets to... Uh... Sometimes he doesn't quite get the credit he's due. Um, maybe he doesn't play as often as, as you would like. But you know, I, I think that that Aguero fell in the shoes of Aguero is something City are really going to have to f- find a way around because who's going to do that? I just don't think anyone's up to the task in the current City squad, um, mm. and the money it would require to do so is uh, would be astronomical. And you, the, the players that might be able to do that, you, you're probably not going to get out of contracts. 
So it's about finding another way, really, isn't it? Um, mm. And they seem to be doing that, City, to, to, to their eternal credit. Um, just, just making their way through these games, very little fuss, um, not getting themselves into trouble, no real clangers. Um, but at the same time, uh, probably... Uh, you see Jesus play well you know that there's a lot of good performance over the pitch but the one man that just week after week after week after week Gundogan I am so impressed man yeah. he's he's got to be a serious serious contender if not the front runner for player of the year in my mind yeah he's certainly been impressive and the fact he can play further forward or in a deeper eight role um, and even in a six role as well it's just like you know where where do you put him it doesn't really matter because he always seems to perform he's been Mr Consistent recently as for Gabriel Jesus um, 45 goals and 18 assists in 115 Premier League appearances I think it was one in two at one point so it has been slightly barren for him recently just four goals this season compared to 14 last campaign he's never been as prolific as Sergio Aguero uh, Callum but certainly you know in the chances he's had he, he seems to have uh, scored enough goals I mean we talk about how a city going to replace Aguero but for one reason or another whether that be project restart or coronavirus or injury Sergio Aguero's not scored a top flight goal for over a year now so I mean are City already finding a way to play without Sergio Aguero because he's barely been involved recently anyway I think the, the short answer is yes I think Pep has made one of his kind of goals this season to to not have to rely on Aguero and, and to a certain extent not have to rely on De Bruyne as well because you know he's been out of the team and and you know I think what we proved again last night is that whilst he's a phenomenal player Gundogan can step up Bernardo Silva can step up you know when he's out and he can have the same impact I think with Jesus I'm, I'm trying to think like he's he kind of Nobody really has too much bad to say about him, but they don't have too much good to say about him as well. Like that record you've just said would be phenomenal at pretty much any other club. I do think he's a little bit hamstrung by the players that he's getting compared against. I think Aguero has had to lead that line himself and take on a lot of the responsibility for scoring the goals, maybe, you know, in years before Pep as well. Jesus doesn't really seem to make as much happen. He doesn't seem to have that quite the same level of determination as a as a kind of peak Aguero would. But what Jesus does have is he, he does put chances away. He's an excellent finisher. And I think when he gets the service like he did last night, I think he can just he can just put them in. You know, he's he's kind of that that in the box type player and and, and he also he performs really well against teams kind of towards the bottom of the league and that's I don't mean that as a criticism you've got to be able to put those away um, I, I do wonder though if he's he sometimes goes missing in big games I think that's maybe where the difference is like he, he's I couldn't tell you a time when I think he's won a big game against United or Liverpool for us Hit the nail on the head slightly there with, um, if that's possible, to slightly hit the nail on the head. But you, you see what I'm, go- what I'm going with. I think if you think back to the Man City games against Liverpool in those couple of seasons where things are really close, um, he scored a couple of really important goals. And Aguero is just one of those strikers where he's almost a phenomenon in, in the way that he can score from tight angles and just how has he done that? You know, sometimes you leave yourself scratching your head with Sergio Aguero and you don't quite get the same feeling with Gabriel Jesus. But Jesus is still so young and I think still so much to prove. So it'd be interesting to keep an on him and see how he does um i won't ask this to callum i'll throw it to you instead jp city are they now the title favorites uh, just two weeks three weeks on from being the dark horses all city are coming up close behind city have got games in hand they're now top of the league with a gap over the current champions and they play them next and they could possibly make that gap 10 points so have they gone from dark horses to now solid favorites for you Yes, I said that I, I, I get an awful lot wrong. <laughs> um, you only look at a football coupon whenever I try to put one of them on. Um, but I did a few weeks back. I did uh, predict that City and Liverpool, to be fair, would would break away from the pack. 
uh, round about this time. Um, I thought City, uh, sorry, Liverpool would, would would keep pace with them. They've obviously slipped, um, and it now looks like City are just about to stretch their legs uh, and move away. So, um, yeah, resounding favourites for me. In fact, not even favourites. City will win the league. Um, I, I think uh, probably don't want to be saying this, but we've got so long of the season to go yet, and so many podcasts still to do. But uh, I think <laughs> I think the three I think the three relegated clubs uh, are already pretty much decided, and I think City will win the league. Um, and uh, from there, it, it becomes a bit of a scrap because it's still really exciting. There's still loads and loads and loads to be played for amongst them. But I can just see City get they've got that. They've got that killer instinct in their eye, you know that that, yeah. that look when you just get that feel from them, and and mm-hmm. I can't see anyone catching them, irrespective of how many uh, looky likey Sean Dyche might have been shouting at them from the <laughs> from the sideline last night, trying to put them off. Because <laughs> um, I, I, I had a funny thing in my head last night. I was watching the highlights, and uh, and obviously you keep the, the, the camera keeps cutting to them. You keep seeing them shouting, but obviously you can't hear what they're saying because the commentary and the fake crowd noise, not that. And I just kept laughing because I just kept imagining that he wasn't even encouraging his players; he was just shouting abusive looking like he's at Man City players all right to put them off <laughs> well that's Prophet John Paul's prediction that Manchester City are going to win the Premier League they beat Burnley 2-0 last night at Turf Moor you've already now you've, you've had an ancient prophet you've had Jesus you've had the Pope this is turning into a religious podcast <laughs> oh well talk about a religious podcast Leeds United fans they treat their football club a bit like a religion it's not like Ellen Road has been much of a a mecca for them in recent weeks. It's been a, a bit ropey at home for Leeds. Everton, they've really found times tough when they've gone to Leeds in the past. Their 2-1 victory over Leeds United last night at Ellen Road was their first win at the ground since 2002 and just their second time they've picked up three points at Leeds in 38 visits. That's now five away wins in a row for the first time since 1985 and Anyone who can remember back that far, I wasn't even born then, so I'm not going to pretend I do, but knowing a little bit of football history, the mid-80s were where Everton were, uh, <laughs> were, were, were half a decent side. Players like Andy Gray and stuff like that, they were picking up league titles and winning FA Cups and all sorts in the mid-80s. So five away wins for the first time since then is an impressive record from Carlo Ancelotti. No doubt Callum's doing good things with Everton. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I should say from my point of view, football started in 1992. Um, so I don't think anything actually happened before then. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, Everton under Angelotti, I think the thing they do really well is they've got really smart game management. They don't they don't dominate the full 90 minutes and they don't try to. I think he's very pragmatic with what he's got and with and with who the opposition are and he'll adapt, which is not something that, that every manager does. He's almost playing the opposite of him and Bielsa. Bielsa plays the same way every time. He's he's much more of an, a kind of, he's got an idealistic way of playing the game. This is what we do. This is my ideology. We stick to it. Whereas I think what's good about Everton and what's good about Carlo Ancelotti is he adapts to who's in front of him and who he's got in the team. And I think in the last two games I've watched Everton have been really smart with this. You know, they know when to attack and they also know when to seed possession, let the opposition have the ball and just soak it up. They did it really well against Leicester when Leicester looked like coming back in to win the game last week and Everton just closed ranks, saw it out, got a really good point. And then I think against Leeds, Leeds attacked them. They had loads of chances, um, but Everton, you know, took their chances and and also defended extremely well. And I think if you're an Everton fan, you've got to you've got to have a lot of confidence in this. Um, but also, just it's it's funny to see a sensible approach rather than you know Klopp's all about pressing, Guardiola is all about possession, Bielsa is all about attack. Everton will change it up depending on who they play. I mean, Carlo Ancelotti actually picked out after the game Andre Gomez as a star performer, and I think that he's been, I think he's been too 
bang average for me, Andre Gomez, in recent performances, considering where he came from as a Barcelona player into Everton. He did break his leg uh, a couple of years ago in a challenge with Son Heung Min, and I think recovering from that is never easy. Um, but he did play really, really well last night. Uh, another key performer for me, JP, was Olsen in goal, who replaced Pickford. He made an unbelievable triple save towards the end uh, of the game when Leeds were trying to press for an equaliser. Um but his replacement of Jordan Pickford, I mean, it's not the first time we've seen Carlo Ancelotti do that. And he keeps giving Jordan Pickford reprieves and chances to make amends for the mistakes that he's been making throughout the course of the season. But again, a couple of mistakes in recent matches from Pickford and, you know, with Gareth Southgate watching on in the stands as well. It's it's an interesting conundrum that Everton have got between the sticks because certainly Olsen has done himself plenty of favours with his performance against Leeds last night. Really impressive, mate. But can I just very quickly wind back? Because I think the most impressive thing I've seen in the last 24 hours was that outstanding improvised link into uh, a mecca that you made there for my crap religious <laughs> joke. That was, uh, that was man of the match material. Well played. Um, I, I was giving you a little clap inside my head when you did that. But you're, 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 you're spot on, man. Um, mentioned Jack Grealish. Yes, uh, earlier that he's the player you would love to hate, but you can't really because he's so good. Jordan Pickford's one of them for me as well. This guy I love to hate and I do hate. <laughs> it just really winds me up the wrong way all the time. Um, I don't think he's a very good goalkeeper. Uh, I genuinely don't. And uh, I thought Olsen was absolutely outstanding last night. I also thought, again, harking back a little bit, I also thought this game really reminded me of, of a, a, a kind of blood and guts uh, FA Cup tie. It was tremendous the way the way the tournament at it, just mm. slugging it out. Um, again, mm. freedom and the way they played. Um, Callum makes an excellent point in the, the, the way that Ancelotti's you know his game management, his adaptability to different circumstances. I think his players carry that off really well too. He's he's signed very well, and his and his players um, uh, follow the instruction of of the eyebrow to the to the letter. Um, but Olsen he's, he's got to stay in you can't perform like that um, and, and pull off those saves and then find yourself out the team so I, if it was me um, I would say the gloves are his now to, to lose mm, mm. well I think nervousness radiates from goalkeepers particularly when there's fans in the stands um, obviously we've not had that recently but I do think when a goalkeeper um is making the crowd feel jittery then that can definitely transmit to the players it's it's a very unforgiving position in that sense although I thought it was quite interesting thinking back to some of the goalkeepers I've watched over the years being a Portsmouth fan the best goalkeeper I ever saw was David James and he was in his mid-30s early early to mid-30s when he came to Pompey and then left us and subsequently played till he was about 40 as keepers can do these days However, before he came to Portsmouth, David James was always considered this goalkeeper that had a clangor in him. He had a mistake in him, Calamity James, but he had also played for some top clubs like, you know, Liverpool and he, and he had a fair amount of time at Aston Villa and West Ham and, and he played for Man City as well. So I just wonder whether Jordan Pickford is, is kind of the modern day version of David James because he is still quite young and we know goalkeepers play into their late 30s the majority of the time. So do you think that that is just a matter of him trying to be um, too out there and do too much, Jordan Pickford. Yeah, I think it, 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 it seems to try to play up to this antagonistic personality that he's got. And I know he's not very big for a goalkeeper. Um, maybe he's got a bit of wee man syndrome uh, that's going on there. But I, 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 I do really <laughs> like the idea <laughs> of Jordan, uh, David James, kind of just uh, all of a sudden went very artsy and got into poetry and painting and all that. <laughs> Imagine Jordan Pickford kind uh, of getting into uh, to, um, classic literature and poetry and painting. Uh, that is something I would pay to see. <laughs> David James, you never see him without an espresso in his right hand. He'd always have an espresso. It's like ridiculous. 
ridiculous. It's like Jamie Vardy with the Red Bull, just uh, David James with the yeah the far more artsy version of was that. David James was David James the goal? Was he the one that dropped like, a bottle of sauce or something in his foot and broke it before a <laughs> I don't know before a big England tournament or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, I, yes, um, he was. Yeah. I've heard so many rumours about David James. He, he also he was also played up front in a game for Manchester City by Stuart Pearce. <laughs> and uh, you had John. Did you not have John um, Macken on the bench? John, John Macken, striker John Macken was on the bench. Yeah, <laughs> uh, didn't play for Man City again after that. I'm sure. But I think just on your point there about James, you kind of joke that he was kind of arty and always with an espresso. I think what James had by the time he got to Portsmouth was maturity, and he he, he had learned how to Absolutely. deal with deal with bouncing back from a mistake and not letting it affect him too much. And that's really important I think that's what Pickford hopefully should develop at the moment he seems to remind me a wee bit of of Joe Hart mm. it, when Joe Hart was kind of all over the place Joe Hart talked a really good game would get himself so psyched up um, and then make a clangor and then that would just completely destroy him whereas I think James obviously throughout his career managed to to disassociate maybe his ego from the mistake um, and and yeah, I think that's the difference. So if Pickford can mature into a David James type figure, I think he'll be all right in the end. Yeah, I think it's a really good point, and and certainly one that I was hinting at. Uh, David James um, was unbelievable for Pompey, one of the best keepers I've seen in the flesh for sure. Anyway, Everton win at Ellen Road for the first time since 2002, a two-one victory over Leeds United. The other game that took place, or the final game that took place last night, was at Craven Cottage, Fulham nil, Leicester two. We'll talk about that next here on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily. I'm Niall JP and Callum alongside me as well. We're going to pick the bones out of Fulham nil, Leicester City 2. A much needed win for the Foxes as they look to uh, cement themselves in those top four places in the Premier League. But a damaging blow for Fulham, Callum. Now eight points from safety after Brighton's surprising victory over Liverpool. I mean... I like Fulham and I like what Scott Parker's trying to do, but it feels like they are, I don't like the term yo-yo team, but it feels like they're too good for the championship, not good enough for the Premier League, which is equally a cliche. But certainly if you're going to put a side in that category right now, it would definitely be Fulham. Yeah, they've, they've only won two games all season. Um, that's 11 games now without a win. Um, and they've lost their first four home games this year in all competitions. It, they do look like they're a little bit adrift. I do think this result maybe looks worse for them because Brighton kind of did the unexpected. Um, so if maybe that's that's the angle you would take if you were trying to motivate those Fulham players to, to go again next week. Um, I think they've they've made it really difficult on themselves now and, and it's going to have to take a, a huge turnaround to, to dig them out of it, especially especially now that Brighton look like they've pulled away a wee bit. Um, mm. But yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a damaging result, this for Fulham. James Madison with both of the assists for Leicester, JP. How crucial excellent. do you think he will be to uh, to Leicester moving forward and their and their ambitions to really solidify themselves in the Champions League spots? He, he's everything. Um, I, I've, I've mentioned it many times. I really, really like the Leicester midfield. I think they're excellent. Um, mm. Top, top players there, man. Sorry, I said top, top. I hate it when people do that, man. Um, <laughs> I, like, I got a twitch in my eye when people do that. Um, and then I'm just done it myself. Looking Harry Redknapp. <laughs> totally. And, uh, but Madison's tremendous, isn't he? he, he he's, I mentioned Grealish earlier on and how productive he is, how every time he gets the ball, something seems to, to happen. And and Madison's the same. Um, that, that, sometimes you watch him and you think there's pretty much... He can do anything on the pitch that he puts his mind to. He will be fundamental to Leicester's success this season. And I mentioned it earlier. 
uh, talking about potential player of the years, he has to be up there too. Yeah, I certainly feel that Leicester City have got uh, everything it takes to finish in the top four. They're five points off the top though, and as we've said throughout this podcast, Callum, City do have a game in hand over pretty much everyone else in that title race. So I do think the title is a stretch for them, but you know, with five points off the top and still with a decent um, you know, run of form behind them and a, and a decent squad they've got, there's no reason why they can't you know, really do what they couldn't do last season, which is maintain themselves in the top four, because it was around about this time last year where they really started to tail off just after January, where they were in the top four comfortably. And then they ended up finishing fifth in the end and lost out on a Champions League spot to Manchester United and Chelsea. Yeah, Leicester are really consistent. Um, I think in some ways they are doing what we've also seen Man City do, where they've kind of been solving problems as they've come up. So I think I just wanted to flag like Kelechi Iheanacho scoring last night that's his first Premier League goal in 15 and I think that that will be huge for his confidence but also huge for Leicester because we talked about in previous weeks what do they do when Vardy's not in the team Um, how do they learn to live without him there's been a few games where they've been creating chances with that phenomenal midfield but not putting them away in quite the same Mm. ways as they would have done um, Madison Madison is amazing at creating goals and creating opportunities he can cross the ball he can play that that kind of really tricky through ball and, and find the striker and you just need someone to put it in the net and I think I, I really like Kelechi and actual probably because he, he came through at Man City but I, I hope that, that that's a sign that they can continue to get goals um, and he can continue to get on the end of them even when Vardy's not in the team um, but yeah I, I mean Leicester they've been really consistent and there's there's a chance uh, there this season if ever there was to, to take a top four place off one of the big boys you know especially when you look at mm. the run of form that some of the other teams are on like Liverpool <laughs> One of the things I think that, that, that Madison does really well too is, is and I love to see this he, he plays as if he's really enjoying being on the pitch mm. you know there, there, there's so many players that, that, that scurry around angry or they're so intense within it but Madison he's got a smile on his face he looks as if he's enjoying himself and, and, and he wants to show you it's almost as if he's always there he's not overdoing it you know he's not pushing it too far but he wants to show you what he's capable of and his full range of passing you know whether that's inside the foot outside the foot left and right he's uh, I think he's probably even more important to Leicester than Vardy is Certainly a big debate that's been raging on over the last 18 months. Madison, Grealish, Mount, um, Mm. you know, some good choices for Gareth Southgate to have to make there. And it'll be interesting to see what he does select when the next international camp rolls around. Fulham nil, Leicester 2 in the Premier League last night. So that's the chapter closed on last night's affairs. Uh, And now time for the New Testament tonight. Chelsea (laughs) against Tottenham at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, 8pm kickoff. Interesting time for these two sides to actually be playing each other, Callum, I feel, because Tottenham are obviously in a bit of a slump and Chelsea is still trying to rediscover themselves uh, under a new manager in Thomas Tuchel. Yeah, I uh, I don't know what um what record Tuchel and Mourinho have when they've played against each other. I'd imagine they've probably not played against each other as much as, you know, how Mourinho has these feuds with some other great managers in the game. Um so this this will be really interesting especially because it's kind of we know what to expect from Tottenham but we don't really know what to expect from Chelsea. They've only had a couple of games. Um and I think I I'm I'm really excited for this this happens every week we have all this football and I go oh my god there's so much football and then they just save an absolute humdinger of a tie for the Thursday night um, so I, I, I just think it's going to be great I think it's going to be really interesting well Jose Mourinho has been saying JP that the, the PSG job doesn't compare to a job in the Premier League and it's incomparable to a job in, in English football mm-hmm. Um Obviously, Jose trying to play a little bit of mind games because I think if, if Jose had managed PSG, he wouldn't be saying these things. But Thomas Tuchel played it with a very straight bat and said, yeah, he's probably right. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that about him. I feel like he's quite considered as a manager, certainly from what he's seen so far uh, or what he said so far in press conferences. 
I, I found him quite affable and quite likable, but also you know that there's a little bit of coldness behind him. Um, it'll be interesting to see tactically how this one pans out because we know what Mourinho's about these days. A lot of English fans are still getting used to the Thomas Tuchel style and I think a lot of the Chelsea players are too. In terms of a bit of a, a London derby and a battle between these two, which is always decent anyway, the fact that Tottenham uh, under Mourinho are perhaps under a little bit of strain and pressure right now with, with way, the way they're performing and the fact that Chelsea are kind of really starting to get to grips with things, I'm excited for this game. Yeah, me too. You both make really good points there and uh, excited to see what, what obviously Spurs think Kane's out, isn't he? There's, there's no Harry Kane yeah. tonight. Um, excited to see what they're going to do with that. Uh, you know, are we eventually, is, is Gareth Bale, would the real Gareth Bale please stand up? Are we going to see him come through? Um, and uh, He's one of Sean Dyche's lookalikes at the moment. <laughs> he, is, he, does, he actually does look like one of those, uh, you know, those kind of Japanese manga characters that used to get like a key and all that with that haircut. Yeah, I've always like a like ninja, that. samurai, doesn't he? Aye, yeah. totally. And, uh, and then let, let's carry on with the looky like it. <laughs> Why not? Because Thomas Tuchel, you're right. I'm I'm really excited to see what comes from him. I'm I'm, uh, I'm really curious to see what he's going to do with that team and, and, and those young players. Uh, but he is uh, almost like a caricature of the sort of uh, 70s, 80s, uh, World War Two melodrama German foot soldier. And you get that whole look of it when you talk about him being really, really cold and having that sort of killer instinct behind him and stuff like that. And you know that he's going to be ruthless. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the same, man. It's not often I would be excited by a Spurs-Chelsea game. I have no affiliation or, or uh, a feeling towards either club at all. But uh, I think where they both are in this period, um, where um, obviously there's, there's huge question marks over Spurs, um, and Chelsea are in this moment of transition at August for, uh, for a good game of football tonight. Well, Thomas Tuchel actually revealed in one of his recent press conferences that he supported Tottenham growing up because mm. the only English football that he could watch um, on TV were, was like a, like you said about the West Ham thing, a random yeah. sort of midweek fixture where Tottenham were involved and he said he, he liked the name Tottenham Hotspur, thought yeah. it was an interesting name um, because they don't have team names like that in Germany. So he, he decided to support them. This was some years ago, obviously. Uh, but it's always... Uh, an extra edge isn't it when Mourinho goes back to a former club Callum and to kind of add extra spice to it he's never lost back-to-back home Premier League games as a manager which is a pretty remarkable record considering he's been in the league now 17 years so Mm. um, you know plenty at stake for Jose tonight as well against a, a former club no less pride I I didn't know that stat about him that's that's a remarkable record um I think I think he's. Uh, I'm just sorry. I'm just reading some of the stuff that Mourinho also said. He said that it was actually very easy to win titles at Chelsea. Um, so basically, basically piling the pressure on and, and Tuchel just refusing to rise to it. Um, so I, and you just know that like the more that Tuchel refuses to rise to it, the more that Jose will just try and dig his fingers in um, and just try and get under his skin and 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 try and make him flip. And and that will be you know if there's if there's even like a a flinch from Thomas Tuchel on the touchline about a bad decision or anything last night, you just know the camera will pan to Mourinho and he'll just be. He'll just be doing that little smile um it's almost it's almost a shame actually that it's, it's going to be so much about the managers because you know these are both teams with a lot of entertaining players but um yeah it's it's a bit of a psychodrama isn't it mm, where do you think this game will be won and lost jp if it's possible to predict i mean the premier league's been so erratic this season it's hard to really suggest what we think a scoreline or an outcome will be but on the general face of it we've seen chelsea undertook or so far particularly in that first game against wolves and and maybe less so against burnley string lots of passes together get really comfortable on the ball get used to possession um and you know tottenham meanwhile we've seen them be a little bit more pragmatic uh, and forward thinking in terms of just getting the ball at, uh, to an outlet as soon as possible i mean is it possible to 
cynical where we think that this game might be won and lost? Um, maybe, and I, and I know it sounds uh, like a little bit of uh, of a cliche to say so, but but the midfield area is going to be really really important, and I know that's a, or surprise surprise the midfield area, you know what I mean? But um, if you think about with Chelsea, with Kante and Kovacic, it's going to be really important if they play um, a pivotal role, and then you've got you know you've got Hoiberg who's who's been doing well with Spurs recently, and is really going to need to kind of step up to the plate. So I I, I think there's a I hope this doesn't stifle the game. I think there's a really critical central midfield battle to be to be won. Um, it will be a physical contest. Um, it will be a tactical uh, kind of mental battle between them as well as to as to who can find their way between each of those lines and kind of shake off. Uh, the, the the rigid formation it will depend if, if Tuchel has managed to get his ideas and his movement and his rhythm uh, into the Chelsea players yet to go and do it mm. so um, I hope I hope that doesn't strangle the game but I think that will be the kind of whoever can come out top there will probably be the person that will win Definitely genesis for Chelsea at this moment in time. They travel to Tottenham 8pm this evening in the Premier League. And with that, it's the end of Football Social Daily for today. I'm not going to insert any more religious puns (laughs) between now and the end of the show. You'll be pleased to know. Thanks very much, JP. Pleasure, mate. Thank you. Cheers, Callum. Amen. (laughs) Oh, no, he's done me. Right at the end, he's done me. 90th minute winner. That's it for today's Football Social Daily. We'll chat to you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sports Social.